Welcome to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch this and all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and be sure to subscribe while you're there. For sermon notes, click the link in the description. Today, our founding and senior pastor, Dr. David Anderson, continues a series called High Five. Today's message is called Mighty in Faith, and Dr. Anderson reminds us mature believers help those who are weaker in their faith become stronger by lifting them and loving them. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, Bridgeway. Good afternoon. Good evening. And for some of you, good night. So glad that you get to worship with us today. I am speaking today on the topic Mighty in Faith. We're in a five-week series called High Five. Last week, we talked about Mighty in Function. Let's bow for prayer and go right into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to grow mighty in our faith as we continue to mature and become mighty in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Maturing believers know what to believe, and they know why they believe it. As believers mature, they gain the ability to remain in unity with other believers, even though they may hold different theological or biblical views. Because a mature believer decides not to fight over every theological view that may be different than theirs, and it doesn't mean that they're being wishy-washy or they're being weak in their beliefs. It simply means that as you grow and mature as a believer, you become wiser at the enemy's schemes to try to divide, distract, and bring division and diversion. So as mature believers in Christ, you learn how to let go of arguments and how to let go of the different uh, debates that can so suck you in that you get off of your purpose and get off point. So we may hold strong doctrines boldly. We may teach strong theology rigorously. We may actually preach and teach and write, but the need to argue down others because uh, of a different belief system is less important with Christian maturity. In fact, I like what it says, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, verses 15 and 16 say this, All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if one and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to whatever we have already attained. Wow, I like that verse. It basically is saying, listen, if somebody holds a different view, God will make it clear to them. Let's just make sure we're living up to what we've already attained. And this is true about many areas of life when you begin maturing, isn't it? You start to see that there are battles that are worth fighting and there are others that are not. That's maturity, not weakness. While you and I have strong beliefs, we are disinterested in spending lots of energy trying to make everyone believe the way we do. We share, we love, we persuade the best we can. Then we trust God, pray, and get out of the way. Let God be God. We stop nagging, stop arguing, stop manipulating, stop trying to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. 
And the older you get, the more you begin to realize that you've got to let God be God all by himself. And you realize how much you actually don't know the more mature you become. You realize, wow, there's a lot more that I don't know. This maturation process tends to temper the arrogance of your younger self, doesn't it? When you thought you knew everything. But the younger, less mature Christian version of yourself is often more dogmatic than the more mature you, where you leave some of the greatest unknowns up to God. You learn to just love people and and let grace cover a multitude of sins and or unknowns. You learn that putting others down doesn't actually bring unity. It creates division and and dissension and artificial spiritual hierarchies. Mature and mighty believers don't need to bully other believers into their convictions. Instead, mature believers help those who are weaker in their faith to become stronger by lifting them up, by teaching them, by speaking to them with respect, by correcting them where necessary and loving them through the process so that they would become stronger in the Lord over time. So then, how do we get to this level of maturity? How do churches get to this level of maturity. Well, I believe that God endows the church with spiritual leaders who help us grow towards such maturity and mightiness in Christ. And I want to talk about that today, the kind of leaders that God gives to his church to help grow up those who are a part of the church so they can grow to become fruitful and faithful. And we're going to discover and define who those leaders are and how we can learn from them. And just like babies born into a family, God has assigned stronger human beings around them, namely their parents and their siblings and others, to help them grow up until they are strong enough to live on their own. And most of all, what I want to see is that those who are under our covering and our leadership become fruitful and and faithful in Christ. And God uses spiritual leaders and spiritual offices to help the process. It doesn't mean that people don't have personal responsibility where they have to uh, engage growth. That's why we have the mature and mighty in Christ theme. This is why we have 30 different ways that you can engage. And we ask you to choose three of the 30. And you can go to our website and see bridgeway.cc write out the word 30. And guess what? You can see different ways where you can uh, become more mature and more mighty in Christ. So you have personal responsibility, no doubt about it. Everyone under the sound of my voice has personal responsibility to, to help yourself grow in the faith, to spiritually respond to God and to take from the leaders that God have, has given you to help you grow, to become the kind of uh, mature Christians that I know you want to become. But there are these spiritual leadership offices that today's text, which comes from our theme text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, help us understand the role of spiritual leadership in our lives. Now, let me just give you a word of caution before uh, we, we turn to this, and that is this. While these offices have been assigned roles and anointings, the people who serve in them are still human beings. And just like children growing up, maybe for many of you, your parents were your heroes, and then you realize they're human beings. 
They can still be your heroes, but you've got to adjust what that is like. The same is true in the church. Uh, you're dealing with human beings who are also given the heroic role of serving the body of Christ in a way that can help many people uh, grow in their relationship with God. But these people are not perfect. They deal with sin and temptation and negative emotions, hurts, habits, hangups, and sometimes even depression and anxiety, just like some of you do. They have marriages that falter and sometimes even fail. Some have been divorced. Some have lost a lot of money through bankruptcy and business. Some have money problems, morality challenges, wayward children, flawed siblings, mentally disturbed relatives, traumatic upbringings, just like the very followers they are called to lead. As a result of this, they are called to live in the crucible of leading God's people while navigating their own personal challenges in a way that doesn't cause others to stumble or blow up their own lives and families in the process. Some, well, no, many, have had to come out of ministry because the crucible is just too crushing for them to survive the emotional and spiritual anguish that ministry demands and spiritual leadership requires. So immediately, I want to give you a practical application right here at the beginning, and that is this. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your spiritual leaders, your volunteer ministry champions, your life group leaders, your campus pastor and pastors, your church employee staff, your clergy council made up of ministers and pastors, your elders council made up of the elders and the elders council of women, and yes, your beloved senior pastor and his family as well. See, as we go into this passage, we're going to see that one of the things that God has done is he's set up these divine offices to actually help the church of Jesus Christ operate in a functional and mighty way on the earth. But he is using normal and everyday people to do it. But these leaders and these gifts uh, are or these leaders and these offices are a gift to the ministry. Let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter four. And let me read verse Uh, 11 and following, it says this, it was he, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Let's just stop right there. I want you to see that God has established the church as his primary vehicle of spiritual growth for his people so that they would represent his kingdom on the earth. In order to do this, the church has to become mature and mighty in Christ. 
So God has established these spiritual offices, which some refer to as the fivefold ministry. How many of you have heard of that, the fivefold ministry? Depending on your, your uh, Christian education, depending on the denomination you grew up in or the persuasion of Christianity, some of you say, yeah, of course, I know the fivefold ministry. That's the basic. Others of you are like, nah, I've actually never heard of the fivefold ministry. Or I've heard of it, but I don't quite know what it is. Well, today, I want to break down to you what is the fivefold ministry according to the passage. And we see these five offices that are listed, and it says that God is giving them, given them as a gift to the church to help grow the body from infancy to maturity. And those five offices are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Now, the goal of such offices, again, is spiritual leadership to equip and prepare the people of God for works of service to do the ministry. So the question then is, how do the five spiritual offices operate and how can our faith grow because of them? Well, first, we've got to define them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of read you a definition of each of those five. And that way you can at least have a cursory understanding without a lot of in-depth detail. What are these offices? What does it mean to be an apostle or a prophet or so on and so forth? So let's just go down the list. Apostle. The office of the apostle can be defined as a parental overseer of multiple ministries that he or she has founded and gives spiritual covering over it. They usually are the founder, the parental overseer, of a a ministry. Uh, The office of the apostle also encapsulates the idea of a bishop. Again, we could go deeper on what this means, apostles, uh, the original apostles, and how they each had an encounter with Christ and, and, and where that all fits in the scriptures. Let's just suffice to say that they are the parental overseers of ministries that they start, and particularly, if you want more detail on that, it's another great reason to go to the SHAPE seminar that's on October the 9th, where they'll break down some of these different gifts and offices. You can go to bridgeway.cc events to sign up for that. That's the apostle. What about the prophet? The prophet is the human voice of God's truth to his people or in the land, predicting coming actions from heaven, calling the people of God to come in agreement with that which is spoken. The prophet's role in the Old Testament was uh, about foretelling. The prophet's role in the New Testament is about forth telling, telling uh, the truth and proclaiming it and declaring God's truth in line with the written word of God. John the Baptist was really the last of the prophets from that age transitioning into the New Testament era where we have the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. But that prophet was the one in the Old Testament who would foretell, would got it downloaded, uh, and then they would foretell, and that meant people would have to obey what they heard from the prophet or else destruction would come. Now, in the New Testament, it's the declaring of truth based on uh, God's word and the rhema word of the Holy Spirit, which means God using his written word in a very precise uh, way in this day, in this age. And that prophet has the ability to be able to declare uh, such truths, okay? And so that's why I'm excited about the 30-hour revival, because we're going to have preaching, praise, prayer, 
and prophetic declarations. And those prophetic declarations will have someone that will declare and speak the truth based on the preaching that we heard that hour. And so you take that word that's been preached and you declare it and decree that it will be true uh, based on what the, the, the prophet is saying, based on what the, the scripture is saying. And then what we're hoping is that when we begin to, to, to claim God's word, when we begin to stand on God's word, which is another, it's another way of saying we're standing on God's word. So that prophet is a mouthpiece to say we heard the word preached. Now we're standing on that word and this is what we will become as a result of it. It will be interesting to look in the years to come how God fulfills some of the very things that were declared and decreed based on the word of God. That's why I'm so excited because every preacher has got to preach from God's word. And then we wrap it with praise. We wrap it, undergird it with prayer. And then we proclaim that this is what the saith the Lord, and that we will stand on God's word. It will be a time when we get to actually hear the word and respond to the word. I hope you have it on your calendar. When is it? Of course, the 30th, right? <laughs> okay, October 30th, the 29th, which is a Friday. That evening it starts, and it goes throughout the entire day of the 30th, because everything's about 30. It's our 30th year of ministry. And I believe that this will be a new dimension almost an introduction to a new dimension of our ministry in a, in a God-honoring way. Again, if you want to know more about that, go to bridgeway.cc slash spell out the word 30. When we talk about fivefold ministry, we've talked about apostle, we've talked about prophet. The next is evangelist. We see that in the text as well. The evangelist is the mouthpiece of God to preach the gospel, sharing the good news of salvation to an unsaved world, compelling them to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The evangelist could also be synonymous with what we might call a preacher or one who proclaims the gospel, the evangel, the good news. That's what the evangelist is. Let's look at now pastor, teacher, number four and number five. The office of pastor, this is the role of a caring under-shepherd who tends to the flock of one church, leading and feeding the people of God with the tender and sometimes tough hands of care, nurture, and spiritual influence. They are the under-shepherd, the ones who do the caring and tending, the leading and the feeding of the flock. And then you have the teacher. The definition of the teacher, the teacher is the one who explains the scriptures and trains learners in the knowledge and ways of God. The teacher communicates God's word in a way that the learner can grasp and understand the elementary and deeper truths of God. These five offices are what we call the fivefold ministry. And again, you can learn more about this and go even deeper, if you will. Some say there may be four because there's not a conjunction between pastor and teacher, but it depends on the particular office. Some pastors don't really teach from uh, sort of a, a large crowd of people. They more teach in a relational way. And then there are some uh, pastors who have different gifts. And so it just suffice to say that there really are five Offices, And you might be thinking, OK, I got these definitions, but I don't quite understand it. Well, maybe I can give you an illustration that would help you understand it. Think of it like a house. The apostle establishes and builds the house. The prophet promotes and keeps the rules of the house while warning rule breakers inside and outside of the house. The evangelist brings new people in to the house. The pastor 
tends to and cares for the people who come into the house. And the teacher feeds those who are in the house like a good chef while also explaining the rules and benefits of the house so that they can teach others. And so when you're in the house, the pastors and the teachers are the ones you're sort of closest to because they're the ones that are caring for you. They're the ones that are feeding you. They're the good chefs making sure you get the nourishment you need. While the other three offices are more foundational to the church that Jesus created and foundational to our church. It's the last two offices that are necessary uh, for spiritual growth on a regular basis. But understand, those first three offices, if you will, are really the authority of, of the house and the other offices and the other gifts that are used within the ministry are the arms and the legs and the feet. In other words... You have offices, but then you have gifts. And what happens is sometimes people have gifts of evangelism, although we're all called to do evangelism and even do the work of an evangelist. So it's an office, but people have those gifts. Other people have gifts of teaching, but they may not be in the office of the pastor. And so you may have 18 to 21 gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, which you can learn about at the Shape Seminar under spiritual gifts. So everybody has a gift within the body, but the offices are different than the gifts in that the offices have the authority to oversee the house and to establish the house. The gifts then are supposed to flow within the house like the arms and the feet and the legs of a body. The head, the authority or the offices, the other gifts or the other body parts all flowing. But listen, they're flowing in alignment with the head. That's what makes a healthy body. When the head, the heart and the limbs all work together. When people are letting their gifts flow all over the place without any authority, they may slay some demons and they may influence some people, but there's no sense of order and alignment that would allow them to have the healthiness of the house. This is why some prophets have a hard time living in a house. Because prophets have a different sort of personality. And so in the scriptures, they used to live off in the wilderness somewhere eating tree bark and bird seed. And, and they, they, they weren't connected to community. But then when you get to the New Testament, you still have people who have the prophetic gift. But now they have to learn how to live in community with other people, which is not necessarily the nature of a prophet who might be more confrontational. Who has to speak the truth. If they don't speak the truth, they can't even sleep. And so when you have the, 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 the offices, it can help bring a sense of, of, of temperance to the different gifts that are flowing all throughout the body. Some people feel like they got these gifts and they just can't do anything. They just got to let them flow, let them flow. No, no, you can control your gifts and use them strategically under the right authority. Some people are like, no, no, I got this, I got this gift of tongues. I just got to do it. I got to do it. I, I just can't help it. It's all in me. You're suppressing nothing. No, we're not suppressing nothing. I may have the gift of vacuuming, but I'm not going to vacuum during a time that's inappropriate. You can use your gifts at the appropriate time. You need the offices to set the authority of the house to say, now let me tell you when it is appropriate for you to teach. When it is appropriate for you to cook in the kitchen. 3 a.m. in the morning, waking everybody up with pots and pans, it's inappropriate. Control your gift. And so you've got to understand that you have the authority, but then you also have everybody flowing with gifts and you want those gifts engaged. But if you will not submit to the house, then you have a sense that your gift is supposed to lead everything you do. 
And this is why people have a hard time sometimes when they have their giftedness, but because they can't put their giftedness or their personality under submission of a house, they've got to be off on their own. And they should. But here's the thing. If you want to be in the house, then you say, God, I want to be under covering that will help me to grow spiritually. So I submit everything that I have, my resources, my gifts, my talents, my treasures, all under the, the leadership of the ministry. And if you can't do that, go to a place where you can. But you don't want to be uncovered. Now, the reason why we have the clergy at our church that are flowing in such unity with their gifts and with their ministry is because the house has set it up in a way where their gifts can flow. The apostle of the house, the, the elders, the covering in the house, allow those gifts to flourish. And as your top under shepherd, I'm the one who gives the credibility, the platforms, the opportunities, and entrust spiritual influence to the clergymen and women to steward in this house. It's a ministry of trust. I'm placing your spiritual lives, Bridgeway, in the hands of other spiritual leaders that I trust to help you grow in a way that you would honor God and become mature and mighty in Christ. And if I trust them, you can trust them. If I don't trust them, you should wonder why. And pastors and teachers, your ears should be bent toward the prophets, the people who you've allowed in your life to speak truth, your ears should be bent to them, taking it in, praying about it, measuring it against the word of God, and maybe even listening to the house to see where this actually fits. You know, pastors and teachers ought to partner with the evangelists as well, because evangelists are always bringing more people into the house and helping to try to train others to do the same. You see, God's dream team is a plan of organization and organism working together in, in the church. And God has brought together an amazing, an amazing clergy team of people in offices to help grow you up. This is a part of helping you become mighty in your faith. Do you know like, like half of our clergy were senior pastors? Do you realize the years of experience that must be and how they could come into a house like this and allow their gifts to flow in, in joyous ways? I mean, think about it. You may not know this. Scott Garber was a senior pastor. William Jen was a senior pastor. Eli Hernandez was a senior pastor. Gary Coiro was a senior pastor. Steve Hartnett was a senior pastor. And many of the other pastors come from a heritage of ministry experience, the years of experience of this clergy team that God has given to this church in order to help you grow is absolutely amazing. Elder Kevin Thornton was a senior pastor. See, the goal is that they would live their lives and allow their gifts to be used in such a way that would help you become more mature and mighty in Christ. You are very blessed to have the spiritual leaders that God has given this church. And again, word of caution, they're not perfect. Neither am I they are a gift to you. Having said all that, what I want to do from this point on is I want to focus on the threefold fruit that comes from the fivefold ministry. 
back to the passage, and I'm just going to look at verse 13, the threefold fruit that comes from the fivefold ministry. Go with me to verse 13. All these gifts were given to us. All these offices were given to us. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about the fullness in Christ, mighty in fullness. But what I want you to do here is to see the threefold fruit. Unity in the faith. Knowledge of the Son of God. Becoming mature. Right there in the passage. Let's see if you'll pick it up. I'll read it one last time. Until we reach, all reach, unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The threefold fruit that comes from the fivefold ministry. Let's take it one at a time. Unity in the faith. If the offices are working right and the, 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 the folk are utilizing their gifts and the people are growing from, from infancy on, then indeed, uh, we have to realize that we can become more mature as those offices are helping us reach unity in the faith. Prior to the message, we heard a monologue about a man whose four friends lifted him up to the roof and lowered him down to Jesus for healing. You can find that in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. That biblical example shows us the faith of four friends. What you may or may not have noticed is that in order for those four friends to accomplish the goal, they had to be in unity. Can you imagine if one of the guys says, yeah, I don't really think this is a good idea. We should just sit here and, and wait for a better idea. Or can you imagine one of them saying, well, you know what? We should just use the side door instead of going to the roof and break through the crowd. And another one says, guys, you know, Jesus is not interested in this paralyzed dude. He would have healed him on his way in to the gathering if he was. I don't think it's a good idea. While there's always room for debate and, and deliberation, there's also a time when believers are to come into agreement and unity to accomplish moves of faith. Now, I don't know how the process worked with these four men, but what I do know is that they came into agreement, they collectively leveraged their strengths, and the paralyzed man who had no strength of his own was healed. You see, people get healed when leaders are unified. People get healed when people uh, grow together under a ministry where they are mature and mighty in Christ. And this is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ working together to achieve great spiritual results. See, spiritual leaders call people to come together to achieve amazing results. And when you have spiritual leaders within a ministry that can no longer pick up their corner of the mat to selflessly serve others, then it is time for them to move on and let someone else serve. Get your corner of the mat and let's make a difference in the lives of those who need Jesus so badly. And if you can't get your corner of the mat, find a place where you can. Don't stay around too long complaining about the man on the mat, the Jesus that didn't heal him, or the other friends who are around trying to get to the spiritual result. Find a place that you can be excited about serving selflessly. 
because ministry is not about me. It's about we. We don't have time for individual agendas. There are too many people who are paralyzed on the side of the road who need a savior. We don't have time for church drama. We don't have time for church division over minor matters. We don't have time for church dissension on who wears what, who said what, who's dating who. We need to get back to the father's business and compel people to get their corner. Someone's with you in that room now. Look at him and say, get your corner. Get your corner. Get your corner. Or get out of the way. Let someone else get it. You see, when you're living on point and when you're focused, it's not about you. It's about the one who's on the mat. And with the offices engaged and with the gifts flowing, many people who are paralyzed can get to the feet of Jesus to be healed so they too can become a part of getting a corner of someone else's mat who was paralyzed like they were. We're talking about the threefold fruit of the fivefold ministry. One is the unity of the faith. Here's a second one, knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge of the Son of God. You see, spiritual leaders are guardians of the unity of the faith, but they're also encouragers for the knowledge of the Son of God. The word knowledge here is a a Greek word that really means experiential knowledge. Uh, Some of you may have read the word epigonosko. It's knowledge gained through a firsthand relationship, and it's an experiential knowing. Now, there's other words in the Greek language, which the New Testament was primarily written in, uh, that are the words knowledge, but it's different. Like the word oida, O-I-D-A, is that word that's uh, look, intellectual knowledge in learning. Now, you need that, too, in order to grow. But first, you need the experiential knowledge of having that, that paralytic moment with Jesus. And once he heals you, once he, he, he tells you your sins are forgiven, once he spiritually touches you, now the oida is important to begin to learn uh, the word of God. And this is why we have Wednesday night alive. This is why we have uh, the, the 30 different ways you can grow, Bible memorization. These are ways that you can grow in your knowledge in the head as well as in your heart. But the word that's used here, uh, the fivefold ministry is supposed to bring the fruit and bear the fruit of this kind of experiential firsthand knowledge. See, the second fruit that comes from those who are spiritually leading is encouraging everyone to gain firsthand relational knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they want you, your spiritual leaders, they want you to experience Jesus for yourself. They encourage you to have your own experiences with the Son of God so you're not only dependent on them. See, cultic leaders want you to depend on them for everything. But healthy spiritual leaders leave room for you to struggle with God yourself. They'll guide you. They'll help grow you. But you've got to wean off of your spiritual leader's breasts and begin to move from milk to meat. And so then they become a guide for you. They become a coach for you. They become a covering for you. But you are now 
struggling and wrestling with the angel yourself as Jacob did. You are now talking to God on your own. You have other people pray for you, but not at the expense of never praying for yourself. See, if the son of God convinces you, then you'll truly be convinced. If a spiritual leader convinces you, you'll be convinced for the moment until they're out of your life. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, then you will truly be convicted and steady in your belief. But if your spiritual leaders try to convict you with guilt and manipulation, it's only going to get you through a phase before you're not really convicted at all. See, healthy spiritual leaders are the guardians of the unity of the faith, and they're the encouragers of you gaining your own personal experience with the Son of God. Third and finally, the third fruit is becoming mature. Becoming mature. Becoming mature is really the goal of all of this. And when you think about what we've talked about, unified faith with others, a firsthand experience with Christ, that's really a spiritual maturity equation. Did you see it? Unified faith with others plus firsthand experiences with Christ equals spiritual maturity. See, as you join your faith with others in a ministry, and as you have the firsthand experience with Christ yourself, you will grow spiritually, I promise, and fast. If you don't join your faith with others, and if you don't have a regular firsthand experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for salvation, but for sanctification, living on and on and growing in your faith, then you will not become mature. The first two lead to the last one. The fivefold ministry should produce threefold fruit, and that fruit is faith, knowledge, and maturity. And the spiritual maturity equation is faith plus knowledge equals maturity. How's your faith? How's your faith in unity joining with others? How's your knowledge? How's your walk with the Lord personally as well as your learning about the Lord, knowing God and knowing about him? Well, I'd like to end today's message with three practical applications that are going to come from Hebrews 13. I think this will help you, and I promise you it'll help those who are in spiritual leadership over you. Number one. I said it earlier, make prayer for your spiritual leaders a priority. You can read all of Hebrews 13. The writer there writes about these matters, but this is what he says in verse 18. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. The writer is saying, pray for us. I am saying, pray for us. Your clergy's counsel, your elders' counsel, we are saying, Pray for us as we pray for you. So that's the first one. Here's a second practical application. Make it a joy for your spiritual leaders to lead you. <laughs> you find this in verses 7 and in verse 17. Make it a joy. Did you know you can make it a joy for your spiritual leaders to lead you? This is what it says in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men and women who must give an account. Obey them so that your work will be a joy. 
and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so, you know, we have to think about obedience from an adult standpoint, but, you know, there, there's a scripture that says children obey your parents, but also honor one another. I think it's important to think about the difference between obedience and honor. When you're a child, you're obeying your parents. And sometimes even as an adult, you may obey your employer or your spiritual leaders. But honor is a little bit different. And I would just throw in there honor. Uh, obedience is you do what I tell you to do. Honor is you do what I want you to do, even if I don't tell you. Obedience is you don't do what I tell you not to do. Honor is you don't do it because I know you wouldn't want me to do it. See, that's how you know maturity in thinking, because a kid will do what mommy and daddy says, but may not understand why mommy and daddy says it. But when they get of age, where they know the difference between right and wrong, and maybe it's a difference between what's gray and what's black and what's white, white but while they're under the roof, they'll say, you know what? I know that that would dishonor my mom or dishonor my dad. And even when they're adults, I know that they dishonor my family or dishonor my, my mom or dad. You see, honor is about not just obeying when you're told to do something. It's really about trying to live a life that is honorable uh, to God and to the people who have authority in your life and influence in your life. That's what makes ministry a joy. There is some overbearing, authoritarian, tyrannical pastors and spiritual leaders and prophets and apostles and, you know, yes, pastors, yes. I'm not talking about that kind of house. I'm talking about the kind of house that's filled with grace, that sets everyone up to live in a way that is as healthy as it can be. And that's what makes leadership a joy when people enjoy that and reproduce that. Lastly, and I end with this one because I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to say this prayer over you, but here's the application. Make the prayer of Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21, a personal desire. Make this prayer, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21, your personal desire. And I will read it now as a blessing over you as a way to end today's message. This is what the writer in Hebrews says. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.